0: Just moved in my new house today. Moving was rough, but I got
1: squared away. When chains started ringing and bells ringing loud, I knew I moved in a haunted house. Still, I made up in my mind to stay, and nothing was gonna drive me away. When I saw something that gave me the creeps.
2: was he like a smaller guy bald
1: i think so was he the guy that you danced
0: in front of
2: (laughs) yeah i wouldn't doubt it that's my luck (laughs)
0: Okay, guys, welcome back to the Erica show, uh, where we be tar- talking to Matt Swain a little bit later um, about all sorts of rock and roll and ghosts and all that sorts of fun stuff. Uh, but first, as always, I forget what I was going to say, but it was, I think it was Standing Graham. Standing Graham? Yeah. Oh, that's right, I am standing. There you go. <laughs> Took you a minute. I thought it was a Stampede <laughs> reference. That would be stamping gram. Stamping gram. Which could also mean when you poop a little in your pants, in your underwear. You stamp them.
1: Really? That's what that's what Northern Ontario's used to call them? Used to call it?
0: Well, I don't know. I didn't do it often. Yeah, stamp in your pants. You never heard of that? I've
1: heard touching cloth.
0: Touching cloth? Yeah. I guess the stamp would be
1: the salt. Like touching cloth. Touching is barely cloth. <laughs> So, no, we're standing up in the new studio. Well, I am anyways. Darren's on a on a stool. I prefer to sit. <laughs> Speaking of stools. <laughs> um, yeah. It's hopefully, hopefully it sounds a little better. I don't know. When you stand, you feel like you get
0: more out of your voice?
1: <clears throat> no, I mean in this, in this new studio. Oh, yeah.
0: It's been and it's a few just episodes. It's easier for me
1: to move around and stuff. I felt like I was stuck on the carpet before. We had a carpeted room before. It was kind of...
0: Awkward. It was. It was, it seems so much bigger now that I put the laminate in there. It seems yeah. like it's a hall. It seems like we could yeah. have a couple podcasts in there. You were already thinking that's where we should do the round of one. You forget that it's like six inches bigger than this room.
1: Yeah, that's true. Eh? So Matt, Matt Swain, that was a great chat. I uh, I thought that was one of, uh, one of my favorites. I chatted about yeah, was all fun. kinds of cool stuff. He's a
0: listener too, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun to have someone on the show and find out that they listen to the show. I've and, got
1: a little email. And to, they already
0: know about our bullshit.
1: I've got an email to talk about in the outro.
0: In the outro? Yeah. Why the I outro? don't want people to hear it now before the chat. Oh, it's incriminating? No, not at all. It's just funny. Oh. Yeah. So how you been?
1: Good, man. I'm excited. You're excited? I'm excited because I feel like there's lots of good stuff coming to town.
0: Coming to Calgary? Yeah. The Stampede? No. I'm leaving town.
1: No, not the Stampede uh, event
0: and stuff do tell.
1: Well, we have Randall Carlson and Ed Nightingale and and a team of people. Buddy Bill. Our tribe of people and our and our buddy Bill Loeb. They're coming to do some research in the Rockies, I guess, and there's a small chance we might be able to have an event for them in Calgary. But I don't want to say too much because I don't think there's enough time to
0: organize it, but we're going to give it a shot. It's more likely we'll do a big Group podcast with them, and who knows, maybe if we end up uh out for drinks or something like that one night, we could tweet something out so some of our Calgary listeners, like Brent and Mark, and even Davin down in Lethbridge, ain't too far off. You know, there's a couple of people that might make the trip to meet Randall, like a little even meet if it was just kind of yeah, even if it was just for a beer or something one afternoon. Yeah, maybe if they're not too busy.
1: But I am checking with some venues to see if we can do a presentation. We could have it in the igloo. So, so there's a few things I want to talk about as far as events coming up. And if people are interested, we do have some Calgary listeners. I know it gets a little local for the the global listeners, but uh, some of these events are traveling around as well. So, but uh, if you have interest in this stuff, let me know, because that'll sort of help me gauge how much uh, effort to put into some of it. Want to talk about the next one.
0: Are you going to go into it then? Yeah. Okay. That's the extent of the effort for this week.
1: So the Modern Knowledge guys who put on the Disclosure Canada, they've got another event coming up, and it's across Canada. I guess it's in Calgary, Vancouver, and Eastern Canada as well. But I'm going to talk about the Calgary one here. They have Nassim Harriman, Marty Leeds, and Patty
0: Greer coming to present. I believe we've uh, tried to get Nassim on the show, haven't we?
1: Yeah, he's pretty hard to get a hold of, so he's he's going to be... um, Presenting here, and he's going to be presenting some of his latest results published in his paper, Quantum Gravity and the Holograph Graphic Mass. Holograph? Where his precise prediction of the charge radius of the proton was made, confirmed experimentally since then, he will expand on this result and discuss the implications of such a discovery to cosmogenesis and its consequences to our daily life, from social structures to energy production and health. So... His uh, presentation is called The Connected Universe, A Fundamental Transformation of Human Awareness. And then Marty Leeds, who we also want to have on the show, he's going to be deconstructing the mathematical foundation of the English alphabet. So um, he takes us through a step-by-step deconstruction of the mathematical foundation of the English alphabet, decoding the cipher used to create the alphabet by exploring the ancient science known as Gematria. Using mystical, religious, and secret society symbols, methodologies, and concepts, as well as the transcendental and infinite number of pi, Marty will unravel the occult and esoteric application of the English alphabet in myriad ways. And then Patty Greer. A myriad of ways? No, it just says myriad. That's myriad is like that. You can say it like that. It doesn't have to be a myriad. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I'm checking. So keep going. Go ahead. It's probably just plural like that. And then Patty Greer, uh, Crop Circle's Keys of Wisdom. She's going to be, she says, finally, we have some answers. Science and metaphysics explain this phenomena as a co-creation or co-communication between earth, sky beings, and our consciousness. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. Intentional high frequencies are spun and set to precision, delivering messages of great importance for centuries. This crash course in crop circles offers a bird's eye view and a backstage pass to this stunning phenomena. So that's just the Calgary event. And then there's different presenters uh, going across Canada, Montreal, Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver, and Victoria. For example, in Vancouver, it's Nassim, Dr. Carmen Bolter, Marty Leeds, and Michael Cremo. So that would be a good one as well. Cremo's coming to town? No, he's going to Vancouver. Are you paying attention? I'm running
0: the show. You're trying to. You're trying to.
1: No, I gave up on that. You already right. gave up on that. Okay. So you ready for this one, Darren? I think you're. This is the one you'll be most excited
0: about. Coming to town? Yeah. Am I in town?
1: Yeah. I got an email from Deborah Warren. She's been taking uh, Stephen Greer's ET contact sessions. I guess like uh, what would you call it? Training sessions, really, probably. Richards. Yeah, <laughs> and she says uh, she's going to be, she's going to be driving around in BC and Alberta, and if you can host an ET contact event, basically like offer up your living room for a presentation and a nearby park for the evening field event, to let her know. So I have to contact people if I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. I think uh, around the end of August, around August 30th, she's going to be in Calgary. So I'm going to try and do something around then. So the end of summer, but people, please uh, let me know if you're interested. And, uh, so that, that sounds to me like we do like a little presentation and then we go out and actually do the field work and try and like contact ET in the field, right? Like using the protocols of C-SETI and stuff like that. So
0: how about that one, Darren? Hmm. You're going to go? Fuck. Yeah. I'm going to let you do this one. So, uh,
1: I've got my app. I was Why using is my it, app when I was, was out on the there. What day of the week? No, uh, it's probably uh, Weekend, the end of August. Yeah. Hmm. So there's there's also um, another one, but I'm not going to talk about it unless they. I know they're coming to town,
0: and I'm waiting to hear. So yeah. When are you going to know? This know. is our last intro recording night for like. A while. Yeah, that's true, eh? Um
1: it's uh slipped my mind, Kevin Barrett. Oh, that's right. Kevin Barrett, uh Truth Jihad. I think he's trying to come to Calgary Lethbridge and Jasper, maybe in um in August, but it's not it's not finalized. So but anyways, uh, truthjihad.com. Maybe I'll just send a link in the show notes and people can keep an eye on it. There you go, and if they fight, I'll lose track of all this shit so if, if anybody finds out anything, email me graham at grammerica.com. that's totally fine
0: that's if Barrett makes it <clears throat> if Barrett <laughs> makes it over the
1: border, I think last time he got he got
0: turned around, yeah, that'll happen one of these days you're gonna get turned around,
1: <laughs> so what do you do for your day job?
0: you hey, Graham from graham. <laughs> you graham America <laughs>
1: Now, what did that guy ask me again? Do you remember that? He says... Uh,
0: I can't remember. Oh, you were reading into either. something that wasn't there, I think. Yeah, like, like always. Story
1: of your life, eh? Oh, you know what else is happening? Craftwork is coming to Calgary. Craftwork in 3D. Craftwork?
0: Yeah. I don't get it. What is that, like it's crafts? A,
1: no, it's a band. An electronic band from Germany. Like, pretty much, like, the original electronic stuff, like, back when Jean-Michel Jarre was popular with his Oxygen album and all that, and there was Kraftwerk. Never heard of it. The Robots. You've never heard of The Robots? No. We, uh, The Robots.
0: This is why I don't let you have clips. (laughs) You shouldn't have clips. (laughs) The funny thing is it's not recording. Really? Yeah.
1: Are you recording anything?
0: I'm recording everything. But not that clip of the robot? So I just
1: played Kraftwerk to
0: robots for people. Well, we're less likely to get sued now. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Actually, in my experience, they don't uh, sue you. They just put ads in your YouTube videos. Is that how they get away with it? Yeah, that's what I figured out. If I wanted to take the ads off of those videos, then I'd have to go through and take a certain song out. Really? Yeah. Did you do it? No, fuck We
1: it. should, we don't have any ads here in Grand America Whatever,
0: we use their music and like a bunch of people listen to that album But some of them are popular episodes, so whatever Okay They do their little ad It's not us, just so you know, it's not our fucking ad Yeah I put it in the comments that it's not our ad We purposefully But then I gotta go re-edit it or, you know, yeah. it's just a whole yeah. production
1: Yeah, no, so we should, we just try not to put that type of music in here, right? So, speaking of that, it was, though...
0: You know what? Yeah, I can't remember what it was. It's even some of those remixes or yeah, knows, whatever. It could have been who the cares? psilocybus so, one because I played some... The psilocybus one it never even let me put on YouTube because there was too much copyrighted music.
1: So, uh, speaking of um, ads and stuff, though, we we purposely don't have any ads. We don't have any sponsorship. We don't have any portals, no breaks. So, we basically try for the value for value model, right? If people think that this provides value. We do have expenses here and we like help um, paying for them, but there's other ways you can contribute as well by putting like reviews on iTunes, uh, sending us emails and your stories. What else, Darren? Uh, uh, Sign up for newsletter.
0: Sign up for a newsletter. Signing your friends up for the newsletter. Sending jingles. Sending jingles. Artwork. Artwork.
1: Yeah. We've had some really good help with people doing the newsletter for us, people doing the website, like Darnell Digital. So it's really helpful. We put a lot of time in, and and we don't want to have people fucking listening to advertisements and stuff.
0: No, no. So the easiest way, I guess, is grammaricaca slash support um, or monetary, uh, grammaricaca slash news for the newsletter. If you already signed up for the newsletter, just sign up some other people. Say you want to tell some people about the Gramerica show, but you don't really like to talk about it, just fucking sign them up for the <laughs> newsletter. Pow. <laughs> That's they, they, it's on, They won't know you did it. It'll just happen. There you have it. Or maybe you know some code that'll just start sending it out to random email addresses. Spamming Gram across the internet. <laughs> you can do that too and we won't complain.
1: So, speaking of reviews, um, actually, one of our listeners was was having troubles uh, doing a review on iTunes. No, because I had this experience, too. So, just, I don't know what it is, but sometimes it's hard. Like, it might take iTunes a while to recognize the review and put it out there. And sometimes it just doesn't work, right? You've never had
0: this problem. I've never had a problem. No. But... Make sure you're signed in because if you're not signed in with your Apple ID, then you can't review. I can't, I don't know if it notifies you or not or what it does, but you have to be signed in.
1: There is some trippy things happening with it though, so just try again and, and uh, appreciate the effort. Can I read See, this one? We usually don't read them, but some of them, you read some one of them of just show. What? No, I don't.
0: The last few shows.
1: Some of them describe it pretty good, so that's why I like to read it. Okay, that's pretty humbling though. This is from uh, Bizarro Titan. He says, accepting the call to review. I've been listening to podcasts for going on five years, and I'm ecstatic to say that Gramerica is among the shows that those who follow esoteric topics should listen to. There are numerous reasons why the show is so great, but as I'm typing this on my phone and subsequently have fat thumbs, I'll just list a few.
0: Subsequently. Subsequently. I'll let you (laughs) off with Marriott.
1: (laughs) Firstly, Darren and Graham what, would
0: subsequently be like a subsequence.
1: Oh, fuck. Are you really going to do this be? to me now in the middle of this review?
0: I'm asking a question, a serious question. Subsequent. It's probably from subsequent, right? Subsequential. Yeah, so that's how I pronounce it. Wrong. Maybe actually it might be right for the UK. Ask your uh, we need Morgan and not Morgan to comment on that. From reflective error.
1: Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> Firstly, Darren and Graham are genuinely funny. Over the years, I've found myself rolling my eyes at other podcasts as the hosts awkwardly try to be funny. Gramerica gets the formula right, meaning that they have a perfect mix of hilarity and serious discussion. Secondly, the guest selection is varied. As you listen to paranormal slash esoteric topics, you begin seeing the same guests and hearing essentially the same interview. Darren and Graham do a, date, a great job of varying the guest list to include experts in many fields. Sure, America has some guests that other podcasts get too, but they also have many others that I've only heard on America. Finally, the interviews they conduct with the guests always contain thoughtful questions as well as allowing the guests plenty of time to fully cover their topic. The only negative thing I have to mention is the show almost injured me at the gym once upon a workout. Darren called Graham an idiot for mispronouncing a name, and I laughed right at it as I was doing the bench press. Needless to say, I learned not to listen to the podcast while bench pressing. Bottom line, great host, great guest, great show. I highly recommend giving Graham Eric a try. So, get that's
0: for huge, that? eh? No. He breaks not. his ribs? I don't think I ever called you an idiot, dude. Yeah, yeah. You've probably called me an idiot before. You think so? <laughs>
1: yeah. Do you know what's, what's weird about this is he says esoteric a couple of times when I was at that Freemason open house, I said esoteric and to the, one of the Freemason guys who was kind of giving me the rundown and, uh, he responded and he said that, and he said it in such a, a different way, the pronunciation, I didn't even know what word he was talking
0: about. How'd he say it? I can't even did remember. Did he say it like some squeechily?
1: Yeah. Like, uh. I can't even think of it. Like, I can't even begin to pronounce it a different way.
0: Esoteric? Esoteric. Esoteric. Es- es- he said, esoteric?
1: He said the esoteric po- co- topics, and it took me like uh, 10 seconds to figure out.
0: Sometimes it's just people just grew up saying it wrong, and nobody wanted to say anything.
1: <laughs> you think that's what it is?
0: Yeah. I know people who still say sayings wrong, and I'm just like, no. I just let them get away with it.
1: There's some, there's some that people like, always uh, get wrong. Like down the tunnel. ball like balling.
0: One... So you know how you say like the balls in your court. Yeah. I know a guy, he always says it's, well, it's in your ball and court. <laughs> <laughs> and I just let it slide all the time. What about,
1: da- what about down the pipe, down the pike? People say, uh, what, what is it when they say down the pike or whatever?
0: I don't know. I've never down. heard of that.
1: Down the pike. Yeah. Down, no, not down the pike, but anyways, and it's, it's, Pipe or pipe, Pike? They always get it
0: wrong. I would say down the pipe. I can't remember the the gist of it. The gist?
1: <laughs> Somebody told me that the other day.
0: Oh yeah, that's a bad one. That's like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys.
1: <laughs> it was my
0: girlfriend. Her goes her around. Time. What comes around is all around. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for the review. Those are always pretty humbling. I mean, we're only two years into this. So I would say the show is, like, constantly evolving, constantly in a state of evolution. I'm, You know what? It'd be interesting to go back and listen to the first, like, go back listen to episode 1, 20... Nah, I can 40, do it. 60. Uh, yeah, something like that, and like jump it ahead and see how it's growing. So if we ever d- start doing something that you don't fucking like, just email us. Yeah, and tell totally. Us to quit it we're not we're
1: not stuck we'll, on anything. Right? No, we really no. D-
0: anything goes. We
1: didn't plan on doing big intros before. We didn't plan the, on doing these the this long interview or anything like that. But it's just we're incorporating listener feedback and listener stories and stuff like that. We we do like to try and make people a part of the whole thing, right?
0: We need more listener stories. Yeah. I'd like the intro to be less you, your thoughts, and more their thoughts. Thanks, buddy.
1: So and when do I myself get to too, express my myself thoughts? Myself, too.
0: Well, we can throw that in before we get to it. But it seems like we've been struggling lately. With what? Uh, stories. Yeah, yeah. A lot of feedback less, and stuff, yeah, which is great, less, and less it's humbling, stories, yeah. but we can't just sit here and read that stuff on the air all day. Yeah. We we do read it all, and, and we appreciate it, but it's the stories are the ones that we can really Yeah. Turn into content.
1: Yeah, and people have strange experiences all the time. And This is like what's changing our paradigm right now is people having experiences and talking about them. And that's one of the reasons why I like doing the podcast, because we should feel comfortable that we can talk about strange experiences without being ridiculed or judged. So speaking of that, I have a UFO quote if you want to play your jingle.
0: Uh, I'm not ready. (laughs)
1: All right. This is the profound UFO quote of the week There were eight of us, including me and the farm owner We had three military men, including my son Then a lieutenant and now a major And a friend of his, a major in the Air Force A professor of physics, a professor of law And others in different professions There were eight of us, all friends, and we saw the object clearly in front of us, radiating an intense bluish whitish light. Then quickly the object disappeared and immediately appeared to the right at a higher point in the mountains." That's from General Alfredo Mosir Oca, former deputy director of the Military Academy
0: of Brazil. Ooh, he's got some brass. Yeah. All right, let's go with another one. Oh, seriously? Yep. Okay. X Files coming back. This is back, a US? Hey? Oh, no. Is it? I'm pretty sure they're coming back with like a six episode, something or oh, other. Really?
1: That'll be awesome. Oh. As we approached this glow, it turned into a monstrous circle of white lights on the water. Then we saw a yellow halo, small, much smaller than whatever it was it launched from, about 15 miles away. It seems like a long way away. As the UFO approached my plane and flew alongside it, we could see the domed aircraft, no, the domed craft, which had a corona discharge. Oh, that's Commander Graham Bethune, U.S. Navy sighting from military, flying from Iceland and Newfoundland, February 10th, 1951.
0: Sunday, January 24th, 2016, will be the two-night premiere of The Return of
1: X-Files,
0: six episodes.
1: Sorry, what, what night?
0: January 24th, 2016. Wow, right on. Maybe we could come out with an after-show podcast get hugely popular with the mainstream and then we'll just talk about grammar all the time i don't understand what you mean oh you know the, all those shows seem to do real well like that the talking dead or you know we're like right after the show's over you talk about it on your people call in and listen people are super addicted to tv shows
1: the, you mean the walking dead
0: yeah, but The Talking Dead is a podcast.
1: Is it really? And they talk about The Walking Dead? <laughs> yeah, really? about the episode you just watched. No.
0: Yeah. Really? Yeah. People do that? That's the thing, man. And it's like, I think, pretty sure, like, every show has one. Really? Yeah. So, like, Game of Thrones was have a...
1: Actually, you know what? I used to listen to a podcast for a fantasy series of novels. Robert Jordan, they used to talk about it. So, yeah. I guess it's the same thing, kind of.
0: That's crazy, anyway. It's DeCavney and what's her name again too? Jillian. DeCavney. David DeCavney. What would what would you say? No, I said it properly. You didn't. DeCavney. Yeah. What'd you say? DeCavney. No, it's DeCavney. Anyway.
1: Ever see California Let's uh, do. We
0: should do. We should do a rundown of that one. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot. <laughs> that of was it. great. I think I've only seen an episode or two. I should put that on my list.
1: That was really good. Yeah.
0: You could binge watch it while
1: your wife's still out of town because she may
0: not like it. I don't have fucking time anymore. I ran out of time so fast. Like the whole weekend went. Dealing with that fucking tree and then the shed that the tree subsequently (laughs) fell through. (laughs) So that had to be... I, I fit almost the entire shed in my recycling bin though. Those little aluminum panels fold up real. So that took up the whole weekend and then podcast all night yesterday, podcast all night tonight still got to finish the trim on the old studio. Got to edit these. Got to edit two episodes and have them ready to go for while I'm gone.
1: Yeah.
0: Friday night's a write-off. Work all day. Work all day. Busy
1: man. At
0: least the wife knows you're not getting into trouble. Don't have time to get into trouble. But then I go away and I'll have no fucking podcast to worry about and no work to worry about. I don't really have much reception out there. So it's just... Disengage. Disengage. and. I'm actually thinking I'm just going to shut my phone off because it doesn't work in Manitoba anyway, and I'm there for five days. Uh, mm-hmm. So the only time I could use it was when I'm on my sister's Wi-Fi, and then uh, I can use it in Red Lake. I think it works, but that's the last half of the trip when we're on the lake, so I'm thinking I might just, yeah, you know, I'll turn it on once a day for an hour or something. Nice. See what happens. Right
1: on. Well, have a good trip, buddy.
0: Yeah, should be good. This episode will come up before that. Then we have our pre-recorded interview with our, our uh, intro with RPJ will come out on next week's episode and you guys won't even know that we were gone. Yeah. And we should get back to some sort of a regular schedule after this. Okay, guys. Enjoy the chat with Matt Swain. You got anything else? That's it. Enjoy the chat with Matt and uh, pick you up in the outro. Ciao. guys in grime america tonight we're gonna be uh finally chatting a little bit of haunting and ghosts uh and a little rock and roll too so that should be fun uh you looking forward to this one
1: i am really looking forward to it yeah especially after browsing through his book here is bringing up old old memories of my uh, favorite bands from the 80s and stuff so i can't wait to talk to matt swain about this um he's uh he's been writing for I'm going to, we're going to talk to him about this as well. But Omni Reboot, I think, he's got an antimatter column which looks at fringe science and the paranormal. He's one of these, one of these guys. He, he balances skepticism with an open mind. And he uses his uh, experience in journalism and interest in both ghost lore and the paranormal to collect and tell stories about the supernatural. So his latest book is, is Haunted Rock and Roll. And he's also got one out called America's Haunted Universities. I'm going to read a little, a little, uh, the last paragraph of the introduction of Haunted Rock and Roll, I just I felt like it, it fit. So it's time to plug in, tune up, raise the curtain, and take our first step on the long, winding, and haunted road of rock and roll's paranormal legacy as we pay visit to rock stars who, like the music itself, never die. So without any, any more of this rambling, Matt, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Um, I'm a big fan of the show, and it's great to be on.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty trippy for us, but how, how's everything going?
2: Really good so far. Um, you know, I I finished up this haunted rock and roll one. I'm actually working on another one. It's gonna be uh on country music. So oh, um nice.
1: We might not want kind of to have back on. <laughs> we might we might pass on the next book.
2: Yeah, well I, I can understand that. Um especially after I heard Keith Urban has a new out a new song out. I think it's John Cougar, John Deere, and John three sixteen. I just I don't know whether I can embrace the new country music.
0: No, but the old shit is still the shit.
2: Oh yeah. The Johnny Cash. That's that's kind of what I really focused on on that book.
0: You know, I used to always like the nitty gritty dirt band too. Right. Fishing in the dark and shit. Yeah. You don't like that? Ground's just grimacing over here.
1: Well, it's just the one it's probably like the one genre I have the hardest time with. I don't know why. Some of it I don't mind actually, but it's some of it's kinda Kind of weird. It's it gives me strange memories. I kind of oh. like the more like the rock and roll stuff, like the Led Zeppelin. I I kind of not that I l- just like that. I like all kinds of rock music as well. But back, uh, I went through quite a Zeppelin phase, Pink Floyd and Zeppelin in, in my uh, my teens, anyways.
2: Yeah, I think we all had a Led Zeppelin phase. <laughs> yeah,
1: and you wrote about but- those guys a little bit, eh?
2: Yeah, I did. Uh and actually um to build on something you said, um you know, what what really happened with this book was that um I was in the middle of working on the Haunted University book and the uh, acquisition editor said, uh, you know, do you have anything else? Uh, and you know, I read um some Gary Patterson's book on uh, a walk on the dark side and he mainly uh, he talks a lot about sort of the conspiracy and the occult of rock and roll, not so much the paranormal, but he does have a few stories in there. So when my acquisition editor asked me that, I, I said, well, you know, I'm going to write a book about haunted <laughs> rock and roll and there's all these stories. And, and honestly, I really had no idea how many there were. Oh, that's pretty and funny. When I started to investigate, I found more and more And and Led Zepp certainly stands out as probably one of the, the, the most uh, paranormally active bands in rock and roll.
0: That's cause he's half dead. Yeah, that's true. Or he and looks half dead. He looks like he could have died before.
1: Led, uh, rubber plant.
0: Oh, sorry. No, I'm thinking yeah, rolling yeah,
1: stones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I
2: don't know. Plant looks pretty bad too.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Cause they do have that interest. Like they're, they sing about, you know, middle earth and all that too, which was always kind of attractive to me. Right. The, the songs about <clears throat> mordor and and the battle of evermore and all that is pretty cool So like i can yeah. see they're having the haunted interest as well
2: right and uh, you know the thing about rock and roll that uh made it so interesting for me to um write about and research you know it, and honestly when i start the book i i'm i just approach it more as a journalist i want to find the best stories, the most compelling stories, not necessarily the creepiest ones, but, you know, the, the book, uh, the, the stories uh, range from what I consider ghost lore, which is just kind of folklore based on on ghosts, uh, where the narrative's driving is being driven by ghosts, to actual paranormal accounts. But what I find is that as I started to uh, research this and get into it more, there's there's sort of like a a hidden layer of, uh, this supernatural stories to rock and roll. And I think it gets to something you pointed out about this kind of Celtic mythology in Led Zeppelin's what you have is you have rock and roll is this combination of, um, you know, African-American musical styles, whether it's the blues rhythm and blues, um, um, you know, black gospel, those types of musics combined with uh, you know white European music, bluegrass, country, all of those. And, and as I got into it, I, I find that uh, rock and roll is really a blend of all those kind of occult, lore, supernatural and paranormal. So everything runs the gamut. You have stories, I think, that are pretty much based on African-American mythology and uh, ghost lore, such as like Robert Johnson and the, um, the Crossroads Curse to people like Led Zeppelin, which their music and their lyrics are really based on, on Celtic and pre-Christian mythology. So, you know, I don't want to get too heavy in the books and talk a lot about it. But it's, it's one of those things when you write a book, you, you, you learn a lot more than, you know, your probably reader ever picks up.
1: Yeah, that's, it. that's uh, interesting. That's something I never thought about, the origins of, of rock. And, and you mentioned the two places, you know, from the states that have supernatural underpinnings. And, and, you know, for some reason, that's where kind of rock and roll had its genesis. Where's that? Well, I think there's one near in
0: Appala- Appalachia, is it? Appalachia? Like where Micah Hanks lives?
2: So, are, are, you mean Memphis? Or uh, Nashville.
0: Nashville's Tennessee, right? Yeah. In Memphis. I don't know where the fuck Memphis is.
2: <laughs> Memphis is Tennessee, too. Oh. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I would say that <laughs> the real birth of rock and roll happens in the Mississippi Delta um, with Robert Johnson. And uh, he's kind of he starts more. Uh, a lot of the rock myths that you hear about a lot of the rock lore that you hear about is based on Robert Johnson. For instance, he was probably the founder of the 27 club, which is this propensity uh, for rock stars to kick the bucket uh, when they hit around 27 and it started with him and it ends. Well, it's still going on with Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain, but you know, also the crossroads, uh, idea itself of selling your soul to the devil. Uh, he, he kind of starts that, um, even though it was a, you know, it was a common kind of folklore tradition before that. But then there's this other, uh, notion that playing the song crossroads blues, which is Robert Johnson's one of his uh, signature songs that too is supposedly cursed. Um, I think it was the Allman Brothers used to play that quite a bit. Uh, Leonard Skinner played that uh, somewhat. Uh, you know, there's even stories about Kurt Cobain wanting to cover that. So uh, Robert Johnson kind of starts it all. And, and he is called the grandfather of rock and roll for a reason. I mean, he starts the whole uh, rock myth, mythos of that, you know, live, live hard, party hard and, and die young type of thing.
1: Do you think that has something to do with, with all this? The, cause when you, when you read, uh, you glance through all the chapters of your book and all, there's a lot of prominent stars on there that have mm-hmm. had experiences. Like if you were to totally speculate, just like totally open-mindedly, I mean, is there some sort of connection, you think some sort of occult or hidden connection between, uh, yeah, like the supernatural and manifesting this
2: type of music? so that's a that's a great question it's something i've thought about a lot and um the, the, the kind of conclusion I came to is if you can think of a religious spiritual tradition that doesn't have music involved, i can't think of one um, so I think music is a very spiritual uh, act I think it combines the rational you know that kind of mathematical formulas that create harmonies uh, and melodies with, um, you know, this kind of uh, spiritual aspect of it, the, uh, the inspiration. So I I think that all music is uh, inherently spiritual. What I find different, you know, investigating the country from the rock and roll Mm -hmm. is that rock and roll really has this dark side. Hmm. And I think the dark side comes from what I call the outsider spirituality of, of rock and roll. And if you think about rock and roll, the evolution of rock and roll, it's not a linear type of evolution. It kind of goes, it fits and starts. So you have uh, Robert Johnson comes out, then a few years later you have, well, decades later you have Elvis who comes out and he is totally extreme. Uh, the mainstream doesn't embrace him. And then suddenly he comes back And the mainstream loves them. And then he turns them into basically a matinee idol. He gets kind of lame. Uh, Then there's years of nothing more than these teen idols. And then you have the Beatles come along with their long hair and people make fun of them. Mm -hmm. So it's this kind of evolution that I see that um, I guess my point is they're used to being outsiders. So uh, when they come into it, you know, you have The Beatles, when they came in with uh, the Maharishi uh, and embracing Eastern spirituality, Led Zeppelin had uh, Alistair Crowley. Um, So I, I think that's the difference with rock and roll is they're not afraid of this this dark side.
1: Yeah, the rebel, the rebel side, almost like kind of resisting the mainstream to begin with.
2: Absolutely.
1: Huh that's interesting did you ever come across pink floyd at all that was another one of my favorites back then and they had always such a trippy sound
2: right i i haven't come across any of that that's actually you know i'm i'm starting to collect material for a a sequel i think and and so i'm trying to visit any of the places that i or any of the groups or or people that i didn't um uh, you know kind of focus on like pink floyd and pink floyd would have been an obvious one but I didn't find anything about them, um, uh, and I'm trying to think. The other one that I didn't find anything was Jimi Hendrix, which was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I did find uh, just recently that his ho- the hotel room where he died in London, or yeah, I think he died there. Um, it's supposedly haunted, so I'll have to find out more about that. Right.
1: So you categorized your, your book in, in a different, different way. So you had some, some personal, not personal, but I guess stories about uh, the stars themselves. And then you got into, um, there's some that, what is it here? You got the Rockstar Ghosts, and then you got Haunted Studios and Concert Venues, which is a whole other interesting topic. Premonition mm-hmm. Signs, Omens of Rock and Roll, and then Rock and Roll's Most Famous Curses. So, how did yeah. you did you just did you realize when you're getting all this material you're like, "Hey, there's enough here for like a few different segments?"
2: Well, it 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 started out my idea was just to write about rock stars who turned into ghosts. Oh, okay. Okay, so uh but when I started investigating some of the some of the stories were so good that I I thought, "Well, I'm going to try to expand on it." And then maybe I'll have material for another another book. So that um you know, even uh, when I was doing the studios, those stories were so fascinating to me um, that I, I, I felt like I had to include them. And I think the the curses and uh, the conspiracy type stories in rock and roll that, that uh, Gary Patterson write, writes about and writes so effectively about, uh, I felt like I had to include that because if someone's going to read the book... They're probably going to go, well, you know, what what's the deal with the 27 Club that you mentioned with Robert Johnson? And, you know, what's the deal with the the Buddy Holly curse that you mentioned? Uh, so I included those. That's that's kind of the genesis of that.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I like that. Uh, can you talk about well, Let's stay on this topic for a little bit while we're while we're there. Can you talk about some of your favorite ones that you found?
2: The favorite ones. So there are there are ones that I find that that were pretty pretty creepy, uh, and, and spooked me out a little bit. Uh, so Led Zeppelin had the most of those. And, uh, the one that stands out to me is, uh, Bulliskin house, which is, um, originally owned. Well, I can't say originally owned, but it was formerly owned by Aleister Crowley. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Page was a big Aleister Crowley fan and actually bought the house because, you know, most people, when they find out uh, the Antichrist uh, lived in your house, you you try to not buy that house. So, <laughs> you know, Page was a realtor's dream and he bought it because of Crowley. And he he t- there are several stories in the book that I, I found uh, there's a there's one story in particular of uh, a friend. You know, it, it's it's really easy when you're uh, re, um, researching these these stories uh, knowing about rock and roll and rock stars and their propensity for, you know, drinking and 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 drugs uh, to just kind of label everything while well, they were all high. But uh, Jimmy Page talks about his friend who was uh, sober and straight uh, and he stayed overnight and he heard this um, rolling, uh, the sound of rolling coming down the hall. Something was uh, bouncing around out there. And so the next morning he talks to the caretaker and said, hey, can you leave the cats out? They were leaving. The, you know, um, I was awake all night listening to this, you know, rolling around in the hall. And that's when uh, the caretaker told him that there was one story about Bulliskin House where uh, a person was beheaded in that hall. And, and some people hear the sound of this head rolling down the hall. The interesting thing for me about this was, it, and I got this from a Rolling Stone interview. The uh, interviewer says to Paige, "Did you ever hear this, you know, head rolling down the hall?" And Paige says, "No, I never heard it." And the interviewer then said, "So you don't believe your house is haunted?" And he said, "I don't. I I didn't say that. I said that I never heard this, you know, particular phenomena." So uh, it makes you think that there's that he did witness something to it. There's another story of a painting levitating off the wall. A bunch of people saw that. So, uh, again, when I look at these stories, I, I I have this idea of some of these stories are ghost lore. They're just organic stories that arise from fans who love these people so much they don't want to you know have them leave. And then there are stories that seem to be more like paranormal accounts of people encountering something they can't explain. Uh, For instance, you know, these people who see a a painting levitate off the wall or or these kind of sounds. So uh, Led Zeppelin would definitely uh, win for for creepiest stories in the book. But, um, you know, the one thing that I find uh, I found out about writing this book is discovering some people that I didn't know about. Uh, for instance, Eddie Hinton, uh, there's a little chapter in about his ghost story. He was a musician uh, in Muscle Shoals, which is this area in um, in the South uh, known for uh, producing great musicians and great rock and roll musicians and great rhythm and blues players. Uh, there's a, a good uh, documentary about Muscle Shoals, too, if you're if you ever have a chance to see it, I think it's just called Muscle Shoals. But anyways, Eddie Hinton is pretty much, to me, was unknown. Uh, and I started, I found the ghost story first, and then I started listening to his his music. And he, he you know, he's a great player, and he he wrote some great tunes. But um, he was one of these guys that was, um, I would say, a, he was a session player. So he he played on a lot of other people's albums but a lot of people think he was destined for greatness. He was a good guitar player, he was a good singer, and he was a good songwriter. Unfortunately, he had a, a problem with depression and uh, drug and alcohol abuse, and he died pretty young. A band was in one of these studios um, in Muscle Shoals, and they said, uh, you know, after they were finished recording, they had a few minutes, It was they were pretty much alone in the studio, Uh, And they saw this guy um, walking down the hall with a a blue uh, suit on. And, you know, they they mentioned it looked a lot like a 70s suit, like a guy from the 70s. Um, And then they later found out that uh, Eddie Hinton, who apparently haunted this studio, was um, buried in a blue suit. Uh, So I started to find... Stories like that, I found a story about Joe Meek, who was this crazy, amazing uh, record producer that probably had a slight bit of um, uh, to do with the Beatles making it in America. He was the one who produced um, The Tornadoes, Telstar. He was just absolutely fascinating. He apparently freaked out um, Buddy Holly one year uh, when Buddy Holly was... um, he was touring the UK and Joe Meek had this, uh, he was always interested in the occult and he would go to these tarot card readings and he got a uh, message that Buddy Holly was going to die February 3rd. Uh, So he rushed to to Buddy Holly's uh, hotel and told Buddy Holly that he had this urgent message that he was going to die on February 3rd, February 3rd came and went, Buddy Holly was fine. He probably thought, you know, Joe Meeks was a nut, but actually, uh, Buddy Holly died the following year, uh, February 3rd, oh, 1959. Oh. So uh, I guess when you are working with your tarot card reader, please ask for specifics.
1: Yeah, what year?
2: Yeah. So wow, those yeah, were some of the creepy. ones I found yeah. that I thought were interesting that I probably never would have discovered had I not written the book.
1: Hmm. So what's your take on ghosts? And if you've done this, all this investigation, like, you know how we hear people, there's all kinds of different theories nowadays about, you know, I don't know, dimensional bleed or whatever, you know, all kinds of
0: residue
1: residue and, and, you know, emotional,
0: emotional residue. Yeah. Right? That what it would be, cause it always seems to be like, there has to be a lot of emotion involved.
1: Yeah. But you must've seen these stories that make it really seem like it is a, it is somebody that's passed over and, and it's their spirit.
2: Yeah. I, you, you know, there are a lot of, of a lot of the stories it's hard to kind of source who's doing the haunting. um for instance, Janice Joplin. there are a lot of stories about her haunting um the hotel room where she talk, died and actually, when you look at it it's how you know I guess I always hey, have that question a fan. you know, how do no you know? <laughs> uh, that it was her and, and not, you know, you know, Joe Smith, who just happened to die, you know, in the same room a few Mm -hmm. years earlier. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of approach this with an open mind and, uh, I can write these things. And in the beginning of the story, I can, I can pretty much feel that this is a, a real ghost story in the middle. I might, uh, decide that it's, uh, you know misidentified natural phenomena and then sometimes at the end i i'm i'm somewhere in the middle um and i think that comes because i used to cover local politics as a uh, journalist and if anything makes you a cynic it's it's local politics probably all politics um local
1: local it, the least
2: probably <laughs> yeah yeah but i guess um over the years writing this stuff i I have my own feeling that um it's probably you know if this phenomenon is real I I don't know whether it's kind of this traditional idea of uh a person has a soul and this soul somehow gets trapped you know in a bar or in a studio I think it is really a psychic thing in that um and and psychic in the, in the real term of it, that it's, it's a psyche, it's your psyche. And it almost feels like it's a connection uh, with the living person with, uh, you know, something out there. And I, you know, it's hard for me to explain, but um, you know, I almost think it has to be something with another dimension. What I, I guess my conclusion is it's, Every every time I, I try to explain it, I, I use this kind of quasi-materialistic uh, Newtonian way of explaining it. And I have a feeling it's not going to be anything like that. Um, the one thing that I've learned uh, writing these things is, I you know, I, I do believe in the weird. I do believe in the fringe. And I don't know whether we would be able to explain it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I I understand what you mean. Uh, but you, you did say something there, like if it's a real phenomenon, but do you, do you believe that it's a real phenomenon that's worth investigating? Like something is going on, isn't it? Whether that's like a, whether that's like a dead relatives, you know, coming back or, or lingering around or whatever is one thing, but there is a phenomenon to be investigated, isn't there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've come to the conclusion, you know, after, after writing this, I lean more towards the believer now than, than the total cynic. Um, So I I think there's something there uh, Hmm. to look into. Uh, I think there's something there. Ultimately, I think this is a question for yourself. I think everyone wants proof, but I don't think. I don't think we're going to find proof. I think the, the proof comes from within. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that kind of sounds new agey and woo woo, but um, <laughs> not to me. It doesn't. OK. But, you know, I, I think that's the real key, because, you know, I, I work as a science and research writer, which adds a lot of complications to my life. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you talk to some people who are total cynics about it. And I, I try to differentiate myself between a skeptic and a cynic. Uh, if you talk about this, they will ultimately have, uh, you know, just like you, you talk to someone about a UFO and they're immediately going to say oh, it was swamp gas, or it was, you know, temperature inversion, even though. You know, Ooh, like those traditions one. can exist in, in, in some cases. Uh, they'll still claim it's that. And, and likewise with ghosts, you know, if I talk to someone about, you know, I, I've had some experiences which I, I, I can explain naturally, but, but happen with such frequency that it, to me, it, it almost makes me feel like a natural explanation is weirder than, uh, you know, a, a supernatural paranormal thing. Uh, But if you talk to these folks, they'll immediately say, oh, well, it was a mass hallucination uh, or it's a hallucination. I mean, how can you you fight back with that? So ultimately, I think it's it's one of the I actually like the uncertainty. I don't want it to 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 be proven one way or the other. I kind of like it that way. Uh, Other people, you know, aren't that way.
0: Yeah, what's mass hallucination anyway? Like really, well, that seems really a stranger than
2: <laughs>
1: stranger than the
2: strange. I mean,
0: yeah, it seems para- that. seems paranormal in itself. Yeah, like what made and it? Could, what made
2: it? Gravity be a mass hallucination?
0: If there is a mass hallucination, then it alludes immediately to some sort of shared consciousness.
2: And that's where I think, I think you nailed it right there, um, especially when these stories that in haunted rock and roll you have in, in, in the country uh, book too, what you have is that connection between the person, the fan, and, and the, you know, the kind of idol, the object of that, that uh, emotion. So you have a lot of emotion uh, and it runs the gamut of that, you know, one kind of sadness that the person, person left uh, to trying to bring back the past all of those emotions i think deeply connect all of us in this consciousness and and you know could it actually bring about changes in the reality that i uh, i could i could see that
1: yeah yeah i like that and i and i agree with you in a way i don't really need to see the proof either Oh, no, you don't my big thing is that that it, as long as it's acknowledged as a mystery that's my sort of problem with this the uh <laughs> super dogmatic skeptical view and, and even like on the believer side too if it's if it's too you know believing anything kind of thing right I I'm I'm happy to stay in the middle even though Darren probably doesn't think I'm in the middle but you're not in the middle.
0: I'm in the middle
1: <laughs> but uh I don't I don't think I need proof. It's just the I wish that uh there was no, less ridicule And just acknowledgement that there is a mystery and that everything wasn't just tried to explain away by, you know, silly things. Some of the skeptical answers are sillier than the, you know, than the paranormal answer itself.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And then it's what, you know, um, so when I worked on the university uh, ghost stories, I, I pretty much approached it just as ghost lore. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't intentionally, but I didn't really kind of seek out paranormal researchers for it. Uh, this book, um, I think on probably four or five of the stories, I actually reached out to people who investigated it because, um, you know, for for one thing, the, the people that I talked to, the, the, uh, ghost hunters or paranormal researchers or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they're really committed to this. Um, they give you a side of it uh, that you don't find necessarily out there. The the people I talked to were very trustworthy. And, you know, the other thing about this, uh, writing this is if I'm out and about, if I'm out at a book signing or something, I am uh, the target of some of the creepiest stories you could ever imagine. <laughs> far creepier, weirder, uh, than anything I could put in these books. Um, and I, that's really what changed me to more of a believer, less of a, less of a skeptic or less of a cynic, because a lot of people that approach me with their stories, they're, um, they're, they're smart people. They, they don't seem to be prone to hallucinations. Uh, you can talk to them about 40 different subjects and all of those subjects are, you know, within the realm of believability. And then they, boom, they hit you with one of these stories. Uh, so they, they seem, I, I don't, I, again, for my, um, era of local politics, everyone has an agenda. I don't know what these people, what their agenda would be to talk to me about these and really to open themselves up to, uh, humiliation on a lot of cases. Now, since I've written these, I think they trust me. So, um, you know. But, anyways, that's that's really the when you have decent, uh, well-meaning people uh, tell you something that is very hard to explain, and a lot of times they look for me, you know, for sympathy, and uh, I tend to just look at them and say, you know, please stop creeping me out because you know I got to sleep tonight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was kind of going to go there with with my last little rant about, you know, the skeptics and the believers. And we talk about this on the show a lot, as you know, is the kind of experience factor, right? I think more and more people are having the experience and more and more people like you're probably finding out firsthand are willing to talk about their experience. And that's going to bring the middle, hopefully, you know, us into more of a middle ground that's less polarized. I mean, we, you know, most of us are know people that we trust or love that have had experiences if we haven't had them ourselves
2: yeah i mean that's that's totally how i feel and i had a few uh strange occurrences when i was living in this apartment that at least opened me up to and and i'm i'm making it sound like i was a, a complete cynic before this but um it it sort of made it more real to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just give you some of the things that happened to me. Um, I I came home one, one day from, from work, uh, and my bed was made completely made and I can bring my wife into the room and she'll confirm that I I don't make the bed. Um, and, uh, then a few days later I was in the kitchen about, you know, maybe about 30 feet from the, the television set and it turned on as I was looking at it, you know, and being the kind of, you know, you know, skeptical mind that I have, I, I, I can debunk everything that I, I told you. I mean, maybe I did make the bed. Um, there was another case where all the doors in the house were closed and the apartment were closed and they're normally left open. You know, maybe I sleepwalk. Now, I never sleepwalk sleptwalked before. I, I haven't since. But maybe on one occasion I did that. Um, the television turning on in an apartment, infrared signals can go all over the place from other apartments. You know, I can do that, but at least it gave me this notion that there could be. And I think that's what I needed when I was writing these books.
1: Hmm. Darren, have I talked about, about the, my ghost experience at all on the show?
2: I uh, don't recall. We were, let's open it up. Well, yeah, it's it's not it it's up. not a
1: much of one. I mean, we, geez, well, I did we did have other kind of creepy things happen in the family and and neighbors talking about ghosts and this and that. Growing up, I mean, there there was definitely out there. But when we were teenagers, we were staying in or we were partying in my friend's turret. Like her dad made a a tower in the house, a turret, mm-hmm. and the house was apparently haunted by this this old man. And we were in the turret, and I got to admit, we were partaking in some. The uh, smoking the marijuana at the time, and right. it was dark, and we were taking pictures in the dark and stuff like that. But definitely had some weird images come back. One with a guy and a glowing cummerbund and an orb, and a, you could definitely wow. see some guy standing there. Like it was definitely the shape of a guy with some glowing bits. Like he had an old old suit on with a cummerbund and tie, and then it was another picture of an orb that just showed up. So yeah, that was definitely pretty creepy for all of us when we got the film developed.
2: Well, and I think I I wanted to add, I I think I forgot the most interesting part. Um, I left this apartment, uh, and by the way, I always felt, and for whatever reason I can't, I don't know where I got this idea. I always felt that whatever spirit was in there, if there was a spirit, it was a female presence. Um, and you know, years later, I'm talking five, six years later, uh, I was on Facebook and one of my Facebook friends mentioned a ghost and I realized that he was living in my apartment. So I kind of messaged him and we never talked about this before. We, we never, I, I barely even knew he was living in my own apartment. And he began to recount some of the things that happened to him that were absolutely the same things that happened to me. Hmm. And, and and to the fact that he called it uh, uh, a she, he continually referred to it as a she. So, you know, coincidence? That's a hell of a coincidence. Yeah, that is. <laughs>
1: why did why was he referring to it as a she, or is that getting a little personal?
2: No, I, I, I for whatever reason, it, it just felt like a a female ghost. It it turns out it was a an a doctor's office, a an office for. Uh, uh, Pediatrist, I think, oh, a pediatrician. I'm sorry, I always confuse those.
1: Yeah, me too. What's the difference?
2: <laughs> uh, well, one's a foot and one's a baby dog. Oh. I
1: think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, ped pedal, you know, ped yeah. from pedal there
0: and and peed from.
1: Don't know. <laughs> baby <The> nutrition. <laughs> peed hmm. from baby. So. Speaking of coincidences and synchronicities, we talked a lot on the show about that. Did you come across any of those in your research with the musicians?
2: Yeah, actually there are, you know, I guess you would call them a synchronicity, but, um, you know, when you think about the Buddy Holly curse, um, and that is the people involved with Buddy Holly, um, his friends, a lot of the people that played on the the winter dance party tour that the ill-fated tour where he, he died. Um, all of those folks sort of met with, um, uh, bizarre deaths and, um, and, and it gets real freaky sort of towards the end where people like Ricky Nelson, um, and Del Shannon, I think both of those guys ended their sets with a Buddy Holly song and then went off to their death. Um, and then Keith Moon, the night before he died, he and his girlfriend and Paul and Linda McCartney went to see the Buddy Holly story. So those types of weird, darker synchronicities pop up. Another place that synchronicities pop up quite a bit, uh, and a synchronicity more as a sign that uh, uh, a person who has passed on is, is still with them, is the several John Lennon stories. Um, the one story is that he told his son Julian Lennon that if he died, he would reach out to him with a white feather. And years after uh, Lennon was murdered, um, I think Julian was working at uh, working on a, a film documentary project in Australia, and one of the the folks he was working with, an aborigine, uh, walked up to him and just said, uh, handed him a a white feather. Um, and and said you would need this, and you would know what this meant. So uh, there are a lot of those weird synchronicities that pop up um, with uh, John Lennon. Uh, even as I'm researching into this um, sequel, I found that May Pang and May Pang was John Lennon's girlfriend uh, when he and Yoko split for what a lot of people of rock historians have referred to as the lost weekend. But uh May Pang continually says that um that John still is with her. And she told a story about um they were driving into New York one night and uh she was telling her friends in the car that, you know, she has this feeling that John's present and then uh, you know, a song will come on uh, that reminds her of him or a Beatles song will come on. And some of the friends were skeptical and said, you know, that that could happen anytime. any time. You know, the Beatles were kind of popular, so they're on the radio a lot. And just as they said that a bus cut them off and they started swearing at the bus, of course, but they realized it was this John Lennon songwriting tour bus. Then there's only one in the nation and it just happened to almost kill them on the Brooklyn Bridge or whatever bridge they were on at the time. So, uh, you know, there are a few stories like that. That's not in this, this book, but uh, might be in the next.
0: How do you rate that one? How man? did Buddy Holly die again? Was Buddy Holly
2: that. died in a plane crash with uh, the Big Bopper, and um, gosh, now I can't remember his name. Um, they did a movie about him, La Bomba. But in any event, he died in a plane crash in Clear Lake, Iowa. R- Ricky Nelson? No, no. Uh, Valens. It was <laughs> oh, Valens.
1: Ricky Valens. Oh, huh?
2: yeah, that's him. Huh. Uh, but yeah, he died in that in a crash, and actually, that crash site is reportedly haunted. Um, a lot of fans go there. Uh, again, to your point about the emotion of it, they go there on the anniversary of his death, February third, um, and. You know, the stories are you can hear the plane crash. You can hear metal crunching. You can hear screams. People see orbs. They take pictures of orbs. They have strange things that happen. Uh, Pieces of the statue fall off at their feet at certain times. All those stories uh, kind of pop up about uh, Buddy Holly's death in, in that area.
1: Is there anything, any conspiracies around somebody actually cursing buddy at all or something that he did to bring this on? Like, what would be the cause of that? It does sound
2: pretty crazy. That's absolutely a great question. And believe it or not, I never thought about it, but I, I should look into that. Um, it, it almost, you know, the buddy Holly curse is the people that are connected with him and not buddy Holly himself. Um, but of, of any of the rock stars that I studied, you know, um, He was the one that you really feel didn't deserve to die that young. I mean, some of the guys. Let's face it, some of the guys that that made the twenty-seven club. The real miracle is that they made it to twenty-seven at all, right? (laughs) How old was Buddy? Uh, Buddy, I I, I'm not sure. Younger than twenty-seven. I think he was twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Okay, so he's still. He might have been older. But um, I have to check that out. But um, you know, Buddy Holly they they call february 3rd 1959 the day the music died for a reason because buddy holly uh, when you look back in rock and roll history uh started to take the music from this uh novelty stage to real music and you know he was a huge influence on the beatles he not only recorded his own songs. He started to produce his own songs. He wrote his own songs. He was working with instrumentation. He was working with all types of technical wizardry uh, that would, you know, only be discovered years later. So when rock and roll lost him, they lost that creative force. And then you see for three or four years that rock and roll is just, you know, this mindless kind of um, pop idol, uh, thing you know and i think i'm overgeneralizing, but for the most part uh when they lost him they really lost uh kind of the, the brains of of rock music and it's not until you know the beatles come back to america that that you know we rediscover that so that's the the haunting part about um of uh, buddy holly's death
1: yeah and
0: that mm-hmm. would be fitting that you know if he's the one you didn't see to die because it seems like you know, most people move on unless they have some sort of unfinished business or like, you know, John Lennon got shot. So, you know, he was probably a little pissed about that or. Yeah. Or I wonder if it's more like they don't. Some people don't know the dead. You'd think, you'd you know, know. if you that, crashed in a plane, you should know.
2: Yeah. You see it coming pretty much. And they took off in a blizzard. So they had to have that idea in the back of their head. Hmm.
1: Yeah. We'll, no kidding.
2: I will debunk one thing, though. Um, yeah. People tend to say, you know, Buddy Holly was a nut for for uh, flying in a blizzard. But the bus was such a piece of shit that the tour <laughs> bus that one guy, I think, uh, had a frostbite because the heater went. So it was probably more dangerous driving in the bus than it was to fly in a plane.
1: Oh, no kidding. Eh? That's true. Driving around at the. Through the through the winter snow and all that, too? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly.
0: Huh.
1: So, d- just a curious question here. Do you Were you aware of the 27 Club before you got into Didn't this book?
0: did died in a plane crash, too? Or did he die in the toilet? The toilet. Yeah. Thinking about a plane. Elvis died him in him? a plane crash. Plane crashes always seem suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Plane crashes and suicides.
2: Yeah, and there's all of those and it's. This- <laughs>
1: Yeah, Well, I think lots of people have died in the plane crash, Darren.
0: I think a lot of people have died on the toilet too.
1: Yeah. A I lot think of it's got to be
0: something down. with cocaine
2: and yeah, shit.
1: And... It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always reminds me of the mobsters, the way they would die.
2: Yeah. Never. If you're in the mob, you never want to eat at a steakhouse. That's what I know.
1: <laughs> were you, were you interested in the 27 club before you wrote this?
2: Actually, you know, I came across it through uh, Gary Patterson's book, um, and and to give the guy props, I think he was the one that sort of discovered it. Um, he okay. was the first person. You, you know, I feel like I always knew there was a Twenty Seven Club, but um, you know, when he mentioned, I listened to an interview. He mentioned that he he was the one who who first started writing about it. I don't really find a reference to the Twenty Seven Club. Before his book came out. How long ago was that? uh, I think 2005.
0: Really? I remember talking about that shit in high school. When was that?
2: That's what I thought too.
0: Yeah, like that was in, I graduated in 2000, I think.
2: It might be, maybe he wrote the book earlier than that or wrote an earlier book about it. Um, But even
0: like early high school, like I I don't, I wouldn't have read it in a book or anything. It was just something we kind of noticed, right? Hendrix, we say, yeah, "Yeah, we're going to die when we're 27, the rock stars. Yeah, but that was. We weren't calling it the 27 Club. No, and
1: there wasn't as many as we thought back then. Like, I, I, I agree with you that I was thinking, we were thinking about that too, but that was only, I only knew of a handful and I was thinking about it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Right. When I, when I referred to it, it might be the idea that it was a bigger club that, that he came up with. Yeah. um, yeah. But, um, you know, when I look back on it, I I was probably thinking of the three big ones, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix and and Janis Joplin, but then you have to add Brian Jones, you have to add, uh, Robert Johnson. Some of the people I didn't even, I don't think I even added because I, I think, Pigpen from The Grateful Dead died at 27. Um,
0: A buddy that was used to play for Metallica, too. Really? Cliff Burton, was it? I don't
2: know. That sounds right.
0: I'm pretty sure he did. I'll check. I'll ask uh, my buddy.
2: Yeah, and then,
1: like you said, there was the Cobain and...
2: Amy, and Amy Winehouse. Else, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then there are... I feel like I'm leaving some other ones out, but uh, there are... L- you know, literally dozens of these guys. And, um, a few years ago, there was an attempt to debunk the 27 club. Uh, and it was a researcher. I think he, I think he was in England and he looked at the 27 club and found that there was no statistically, there no st- statistical, uh, odds. The odds were great that you would die at any time, not just 27 as a rock star. But, you know, so I'm a research writer and I'm used to reading these studies. So I I looked at the data and they start, I think he started the, his study in 1950 looking at top one, number one songs in England, in the UK. And I forget where he, he stopped it, but right there, I mean, the rock era really doesn't begin till like 56, I'd say. Uh If you think about the UK, their charts were much different than the US, mm-hmm. and and so I don't think the Doors had a number one. They might have had a top ten, but they didn't have a number one. Um, not an La Woman. James Joplin. What's that?
0: La Woman wasn't number one.
2: I, I don't know whether UK. it was in the UK. Oh
0: no, probably not. Maybe not in the UK. Must have I mean, been in here. In the US, there be yeah. dozens. Yeah.
2: So. It, it seems to me that was kind of cherry picking the data and I can't prove it, but you know, started in 1956 and, and then let's
1: see. What was he doing? Was he looking at all the top songs and then who wrote them or I mean, who, uh, who performed who them, Performed them.
2: Huh. Yeah. And when they died hmm. and there was no statistical st- significance of the, of being 27, but I, you know, when you, when you see all the people it's it, it, you know, it does give you the idea that there's there's something to that yeah definitely
1: yeah unless unless 27 is somehow because of the numer- numerology sort of nine. nine which is maybe three it's more, three
0: maybe is the key to like, the universe <laughs>
2: okay, well that's exactly that. <laughs> i'm i'm sort of glad you guys said that because i in this book i want to add to you know the the conversation so i tried to find a numerological approach to it and that's exactly what i came up that there is something special about the two and the seven uh or, or like you guys say the nine um but you know i that was just that was just a guess
0: yeah well no i mean is a crazy number yeah <laughs> which is three squared
1: is it a lonely number too darren
0: no, one is the loneliest <laughs> number. Don't you remember the song?
1: I, I just remembered lonely number. I couldn't remember what the lonely number was.
0: Really? Yeah. I guess, to, in, I mean, all the numbers from zero to nine are lonely. Until you get to 10, then you got a buddy. <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> you know what, what, what the theme of your book reminded me of is uh, this book that I kind of have, haven't have really forgotten about it over the last... I don't know maybe 5 or 7 years or whatever. We've talked about it on the show a couple of times, but it's called Alien Rock. And it's it's basically similar to yours in in the in they talk about really really popular musicians and rock stars and their encounters with uh you know, UFOs and and aliens and abductions and stuff like that. And again, when you look at it, you're just blown away by the amount of popular artists and you're thinking, "Well, there has to be some correlation to the level of creativity or the level of popularity that these artists get. Cause it almost feels like all the popular ones have had some sort of fucking crazy experience.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I heard about that book. I, I'll have to check that out um, because I, you know, as I researched this, I came across, you know, obviously dozens of stories about UFOs. I have one in, in the book about, uh, and actually, he was such a, a minor, I think his name was James Sullivan, and he died or, or mysteriously disappeared not too far away from Roswell. Uh, and his last song was about UFOs. So, you yeah. know, yada, 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 extrapolation. I, of course, tried to make people think that he was abducted by UFOs. but Or they stuck um, him
0: up on a weather balloon and yeah they strung him up in a weather balloon and he was up and floating around in the high atmosphere for a couple of days then he (laughs) came crashing down
2: or or maybe it was swamp gas that took him up yeah maybe he was raptured up in swamp gas
0: yeah i think i just solved roswell
1: (laughs) so do you do you you find that there's an overlap between all these or do you find that these paranormal paranormal sort of subjects get stuck in their little box
2: no i th- i think that i really believe it it's that rock rock musicians accept this these type of outsider ideas um so you you find ghost stories you find um stories about ghost ghosts of rock stars you find uh, stories about rock stars who believe in ghosts you have stories about uh, rock stars who believe in UFOs, rock stars who believe in magic, ceremonial magic, um, uh, Eastern mysticism, all of that. you know, they embrace it all, and I, I think that's what makes it unique.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I would tend to agree with that. They are that type of character, the the artistic type that just really they don't care what everybody else is doing. They don't care what everybody else thinks. they just they have that creativity and and that it seems like a more of an open mind i'd hate to generalize like that but it does seem like artists seem to have an open
2: mind i uh, that's what i i've come to that conclusion and um you know if you give me a second i can and talk a little bit about um uh, robert johnson and, and uh the crossroads and i think it gives you a little insight into the many layers of this spirituality uh, in in rock music. So, you know Robert Johnson. A lot of people know him as this great blues player, uh, and you know quasi invented rock and roll. Uh, you know he grew up in the Delta. The Delta was not a great place to be a, a young black man. Um, you had sort of two occupational uh, futures. You could either work in the fields, or you could be a, a blues musician. Uh, blues musicians had the the women, and they had the whiskey, and they had the good times. So he uh, wanted to be a blues musician. The only problem was he sucked at playing guitar. Uh, so that was a complication. He had a second negative going with him is that he he was super annoying and he annoyed the shit out of these other great blues players guys like sunhouse uh and this was back in the 20s 30s uh and he followed them all around um the delta trying to get licks and tips from them learn how to play better and at one point they just all got sick of him and and sort of kicked him out of this circle of musicians mm. And at that point in historical record, and we actually do have people, uh, you know, historians have talked to these folks. So this is this is real history for about a year. He absolutely disappears and no one really knows where he went. He comes back a year later, almost to the day, they said. And not only can he play the blues, but he plays in his own unique style that's better than anyone. And it doesn't take Sun House and the rest of the guys to to realize that they believe something supernatural's af- afoot, and you know the legend of going to the crossroads at midnight, uh, waiting for a man in black to show up. Uh, he helps tune your guitar, and then you give. He gives you a contract. You sign it. You get fame and fortune, and he gets your soul. that That story was pretty well known, and they started saying, "Well, you know, Robert Johnson uh, sold his soul to the devil and." Johnson made no bones about it either. He wrote songs basically saying he sold the soul to the devil. He was playing, uh, he would practice in graveyards, and this just added to the legend. And then when he mysteriously died, uh, possibly from poisoning, uh, but no one really knows for sure, you know, that kind of confirmed this theory about, um, you know, Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. Now, when you look at these stories and when I you know, researched it, you know, I just wrote that story pretty much. But then when I started to look into it, you know, if you would, have, if you talked to Son House, I never talked to him, but, you know, he's on record as, as believing the literal Robert Johnson sold his literal soul to the literal devil. He believed that. Um, but if you look at the story itself, what I kind of came away with it is the story of Robert Johnson is the story of every artist that you try to make it into the mainstream. In Johnson's case, it was this, you know, group of blues musicians, but every artist tries to, you know, uh, do something just as good as his, his uh, colleagues. But often that artist is kind of kicked out of the circle because they do things a little differently. And so then they come back, uh, and then they have this, you know, their own style. They might have their own type of painting. They might have their own type of guitar playing or, or what have you. Uh, and then the mainstream immediately embraces it. And pretty soon you get everything you desire. You get the, the wine, the whiskey and, and the good times. So, you know, when you look at this ghost story, on one hand, it could be just a neat, creepy ghost story that we'd like to tell. But on the other level, you, you see that this story is almost a cautionary tale. And that's what I think makes these stories so interesting. So even if you don't believe in, in ghosts or anything, and that's fine. Um, but I think you have to respect the, uh, the, the idea that we tell these stories and that these stories are important.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's, that's really interesting. Is that what that song that was sort of popular in the seventies or early eighties, that devil comes down to Georgia or
2: whatever, is that? That is absolutely correct. That's a different version of it. And that is more of a, um, you know, the, the white um, European kind of angle to it where it's a fiddle player, not a guitar yeah, player.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Yep. Same story. And, and that story actually goes back to, I think Africa. And I think there are there are Greek legends too about uh, gods at the crossroad, and then of course, if you look at a crossroad, it forms a cross. You know, there's hmm. there's so many layers to this shit. Yeah, no kidding.
1: So, do you have any other interests like paranormal type? Yeah, of, what's uh, ne-
0: what's favorite next to ghosts? And do you think you should shoot Bigfoot if you see him?
2: I I <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you should shoot uh, Bigfoot, but um, I I guess. I do kind of like the UFO stuff uh, a little bit. Um, you know, the funny thing is, like, I have a side interest in, in quantum physics and, 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 and that sort of stuff, the, the, the more fringy science stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and, and they're starting to connect, which is the weird thing. Right. Can you- and I also like, uh, you know, religions and studying Eastern religions and, and things like that.
1: So talk about some of the the connections with quantum physics now. I mean, that's, that's fascinating, really fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, and I'm, I'm not an expert. That's the tough thing, but um, you know, when you look at ideas of quantum physics, like superposition that something can be in multiple infinite places, basically at the same time, things like entanglement um, where there's a, Seemingly an instantaneous connection uh, between uh, in some cases particles essentially across the universe uh, you know how how weird is it that there would be ghosts? I mean some of this stuff is just thats uh, that 's I think what the connection and of course, when you study buddhism it 's almost like uh, a lot of the the different types of Buddhism, especially the the Mahayana uh, Buddhism, you feel like you are reading. It's hard to tell the difference between reading someone who is knowledgeable about Buddhism and as someone who is knowledgeable about quantum physics when they talk about uh, emptiness and fullness being the same thing. So uh, when you think about uh, something that is empty, it's not really empty, it's full of potential. Uh, and, and so what is intersecting with that potential? And my guess is it's consciousness.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and just the parallels between us all being connected and now really seeing that at a quantum level, we
2: are all connected. Yeah. I think we're all, it's all, it essentially, it's all one.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, It's all one.
1: That's interesting. And we're all just programs in the digital universe.
0: Did you have any of your own personal synchronicities while you're writing the book?
2: Yeah, I have, that's a good question. Um, not that I can recall. I'm sure there was some, some stuff going on. Uh, uh, I I don't know whether, you know, Elfie music from, um, uh, paranormal state.
1: Uh, no, no, just from reading your bio and stuff like that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I was working with her one time and I think she, I think she may, uh, so she would be on location and I was trying to work on her book. Um, and, so she would call me from these different hauntings and, and different investigations she was going on. And I think one time she butt dialed me uh, and my wife answered the phone and, and was pretty convinced that we had somehow uh, got Satan involved with our operation here. So uh, that's about as close to a synchronicity as I got. <laughs> I won't rate that.
1: Yeah, don't rate that one, Jared. <laughs> So what about uh, Omni Reboot? Is that what where, where you're writing about, the quantum physics and stuff like that?
2: Well, it was, and uh, that was, I think that was last year. I was writing for them pretty regularly, and then they sort of went off in a different direction with it. I was trying to return to the, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the original Omni. Hell yeah. I remember
1: and they had the UFO segment that, every that was, month for like 50 was it monthly or yearly uh and at the end of that the magazine disappeared i was all pissed off and i was like why when somebody mainstream finally starts writing about ufos and i was following it all the time i was excited about you know that magazine coming out with that and then boom gone
2: yeah and that was the anti-matter column oh remember it was red yeah yeah so, when they first started this omni reboot, my idea was to reboot that antimatter um, uh column just like they had it, so there would be a mix of little vignettes of of u f o or ghosts or quantum physics or or all those. So I started to do that, but then um I think they changed editors, and they were they're more focusing on the sci fi aspect but I was like you i I used to." You know I remember going to like the bookstores and and looking up and seeing if Omni was there. if Man. Omni wasn't there i would <laughs> I would feel depressed for the next week. You oh, know?
1: that's hilarious, yeah.
2: was it
0: like a channel
1: it's it's just no, it's like a, a remember, magazine Omni it was kind of like it was kind of like fringe science and science, but they talk about stuff like uFOs and all it was really it was really cool. It's kind of like a mix between like popular mechanics and uh pop sci or. Or yep. even like yeah, kinda like UFO open minds type stuff. It was it was pretty cool.
2: There was a fringe sort of science section called continuum. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, a fringe kind of uh occult supernatural column that was antimatter. He, which yeah I, go ahead. yeah, I just I loved the whole thing. And and then there was they always had some sci-fi stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, do you think those are worth anything? I still have a stack of
2: those. I, I bet you they are. I know that uh, the folks at Omni Reboot sell a lot of their uh, old stuff. Now, it's usually like old paintings. That, and their artwork was great in that, if you remember, some of the graphics and some of the paintings. So, that it might be worth something. Who knows? I should,
1: I should at least like take some digital pictures of those, Darren, and put them in a studio or something, some classic Omni Mags.
0: looks like they're selling for about... Oh, dear! 12, the whole 1982.
1: No, 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 no. That's way too far back. Uh, We're talking like early 90s
2: probably. You
0: can get the whole 1982 year for 30 bucks plus plus $85 shipping. That's where they get you.
2: That's where they get you. The
0: 1990 full year, 30 bucks plus 70 bucks shipping. Where the fuck?
1: That sounds too cheap, man. Where? eBay. Yeah, don't believe that
0: don't believe that. I can buy it right now. <laughs> I'm <don't know.
1: laughs> not going to tell you that you have to bid on it or something. That's not the no, starting bid no. price. That's disappointing.
0: Buy it now. Oh. You thought you were sitting on a gold mine yeah. with your Omni magazine.
1: Mufon journals. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs>
0: I quit. And my two Gretzky
1: rookie cards. I still, frosky, have, two, I still have two Gretzky rookie You're cards. Cool. i got to try and.
0: Oh, Gretzky rookie eight. cards. Yeah. Do yeah, you really? Yeah. Can I have one? No, just for the studio.
1: You got two. No, no, that's not even studio worthy. No hockey in the studio, except during the
0: playoffs.
2: Yeah. Well, here's, uh, and I'm not sure. I don't quote me on this, but I believe the reason that Omni started stopped publishing a print version is they went online, and that was probably back in '96, '97.
1: Just happened to correlate with the end of their UFO segment? That seems too conspiratorial to me.
2: I, I don't know. That's, I, I recall that they went online, and I might be way off on that.
1: You might be right. I mean, they, they were definitely you know, ahead of their time technologically, so they would have been one of the first ones to do that.
2: Yeah. You
1: never know.
0: Are they mint? No, they're not mint. Oh, they're f- are the cards mint?
1: No, the cards aren't mint. Uh, I don't have them in like plastic wrap and no, all mint. that. And
0: if it's not mint, you're down to under a thousand bucks. Oh, that's plenty. Yeah, I think they're probably three or four hundred bucks a piece. Sold? Sold. <laughs>
1: I'll sell them to you and you can do all the work <laughs> and sell them to somebody
0: else. I think oh, if what? they're mint, it's a couple of G's.
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't.
0: No, I what wouldn't about the are. Omni magazines? Are they mint? No,
1: they're not mint. They're sitting in
0: a box. Maybe we like, could give them out as prizes. I don't want to do that. Drum up some sort of something with. No. Sign Graham's old Omni magazine collection. Some Maybe we the pages we'll You is... might find some of the pages are a little stuck together. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, very funny. I was just thinking of that other mag that that might happen to, but what was, it, what was the other one with all the girl? Maxim. Yeah. yeah it's right there. Yeah, They're right beside all my Maxim mags. Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: Don't bring them in the don't bring in the studio they'll be glowing <laughs>
1: the blacklight
0: well, so do you have uh do you have anything else you want to get to before we wrap this up Wait, is are you on the twitter and the facebook and all that fun stuff?
2: I do have a, a facebook site and a twitter um I think if you just go to facebook it's uh, haunted rock and roll or just I usually come up if you search for that. And I think my Twitter handle is haunted rock and R, uh, because of Twitter and, and I'm not very good at Twitter. So, uh, that's basically where I'm at. And the books are, you know, uh, on, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, or down at your bookstore.
0: Twitter is, uh, is a pretty powerful tool
2: actually. Oh, I wish I, I wish I could, I wish I could work it better because a lot of these authors, they're really good at it. And I think they sell a lot of books. I'm just, when it comes to the, the marketing and the self-promotion, I, I kind of stink at that.
1: Well, you got in touch with us and that was a step in the right direction.
2: Yeah. That's because I've always listened to the show. Though. <laughs> I have
1: an interesting story about that. Actually, I go to the movies every once in a while and Try yourself. Yeah. So what? Awesome. <laughs> you had to throw that in there. So I'll kill time in chapters sometimes, and I'll go to the section, you know, like the section of uh, new age or occult or UFOs or whatever. And anyways, I, I just got your email that day, I think, and I went and I was just looking, and I and your, your book popped out at me like right away. It was really weird. I was like, oh, well, oh, that's wow. So yeah, I bought it. That, I bought it that the same day you emailed me. I bought your book. That's pretty weird. <coughs> Before well, I or was... after he emailed you? after email oh.
2: i forget which episode i was listening to your show um and i was i was sitting there thinking well i wrote a book on on ghosts maybe they'd be interested in that and i don't that's when i decided to reach out but that's usually i'm, I'm listening to all these other authors talk and i think well i wrote a book oh that's but, awesome um, that's awesome I've, I've never, here's the experience I've never, I I haven't had as an author. I haven't been in, uh, just a bookstore in the middle of nowhere and came across my book. That's what I want to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you did though. It was in the Calgary bookstore.
1: I did. Yeah. Physically came across it. Yeah. That was really cool. um, but yeah, I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk about ghosts because for some reason it's such a popular subject now too. I mean, all the paranormal investigators and all the ghost shows and all that. And I really like how you put this book together with, you know, Rock, which so many people are also interested in. So it gave, it gave us an opportunity to hit sort of, you know, ghosts with a better little bit of a twist.
0: Do you sell the book through your website or anything? Is there an, an, any alternatives to Amazon?
2: I, I really don't have a sort an author page at all. And that's something I should work on too. Uh, just because too if le, I do,
1: you, you can get it to Lelo. How do you pronounce it? Lelo
2: Uh Llewellyn Llewellyn. Yeah.
0: Sounds yeah. like a girl's name. Llewellyn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just, you know, kind of just to sum it up. I think, um, the one biggest, uh, piece of praise I had from this book was, uh, I was at a book signing and uh, a lady came up and said to me, uh, she's not a lady. She was sort of a young girl said, you know, I loved your book. I learned so much about rock and roll. And I think, you know, to go back to my point, um, these stories, whether you believe them or not are great ways of uh, transmitting part of the culture and, and the history of something that I really love, which is rock music and rock history.
1: That's a great way to say it. Yeah, it's very emotional. Like music is, music hits you at a deep level.
0: It does. And it really triggers, like, yeah, it sticks with you, right? Like sometimes you just hear that song on the radio and it's like, bam, you're back in fucking, yeah, back in the 90s or grounds back in the early 80s.
2: Absolutely. It's a time. Or you start
0: crying. Yeah. Yeah. Drum solos make you cry.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'll never live that one down. I shouldn't have talked about that. No did you cry at a drum solo yeah i I saw elton john recently in vegas and his drummer was just fucking unbelievable like absolutely perfect and he had like three sets of drums going and there was something about what he was doing was just like totally affecting me
2: well uh, here's here's my drum solo story i i kind of find them as pretentious
1: okay Okay. yeah okay maybe that's why this one affected me because it wasn't (laughs)
2: And uh, there was one band, a local band, uh, that the drummer would go into, you know, a six-minute solo, and people just want to drink and dance, right? So everyone cleared off the dance floor um, to listen to this drummer, and I shot out into the middle and started doing a dance that was kind of part epileptic seizure, uh, part... um, you know tribal dance <laughs> just to ruin his solo so he was pretty mad at me but i think and i'd have to talk to my cousin because i had her picking up the coins that people were throwing at me i think i made about two two dollars and 75 cents <laughs> that's that's interesting that's my drum solo I'm, story. I'm
1: not a normal drum solo fan. Like I like them like everybody else, just normal. Like I, I would you know traditionally I probably would like a guitar solo more than a drum solo, but this one is something about this this older gentleman who was playing big like they were big, you know there was some bongo type drums like a whole okay. bunch of different styles of drums, and it was the way he played it to per, like perfect per, like it was perfection really. So I don't know, and and maybe because of the you know drums traditionally can kind of alter your state of consciousness as well so maybe that's that, had some, that had something to do with it
2: was it a famous percussionist is it someone we would know or
1: probably it was with Elton john on his last tour ever so i'm pretty sure he's probably
2: was he like a smaller guy bald
1: i think so was he the guy that you danced in front of
2: <laughs> yeah i wouldn't doubt it that's my luck <laughs> Oh. So
1: you, it sounds like you know him.
2: Yeah, I, there's there was one guy. He was big. I think in the eighties, nineties. I remember. I remember seeing him, but I don't remember his name.
0: <laughs> Is anyone look D- it up?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look it up here. The Million Dollar Piano. Neil Nigel Olson. Does that ring a bell?
2: It doesn't ring a bell. I don't know whether that's the same guy. This guy was really. It, I mean, he was actually in a lot of videos, late 80s, early 90s, Hmm. and I felt like he was in a couple Elton John videos.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to read, uh, it looks like there's a big big write-up here and a lot, I'd have to go through it, but it it really made me realize, because I mean, music's always had a pretty deep effect on me, but this really made me realize how important art is too, and how (laughs) How deep some of that can hit you. Like it was pretty. I was pretty much. It was pretty much uncontrollable. Like I couldn't just say, "Oh, I'm not gonna feel this emotion." It was like instant.
2: That's that's a spiritual experience.
1: Yeah, totally. Is it that dude? It, no, it doesn't look like that dude. That's Nigel
0: Olsen. No, I
1: no I, I'm pretty sure he was older, and he might have been bald. He might have had a hat on. Uh, a five head
0: he didn't have a full head. He had a five head.
1: so yeah yeah i guess it was a spiritual experience
2: yeah i mean that's all the uh kind of the symptoms of it deep emotions you can't hold the emotions yeah yeah
0: (sighs) glad that came up again eh? yeah thanks buddy (laughs) i suppose that's a good note to wrap it up on here you go. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming aboard, Matt. It's been a been a slice. Our our listeners will finally get their ghost episode. A well, It took a hundred twenty episodes, but here we are.
2: Hey, in another hundred twenty, have me back. Right on.
0: We'll we do. I like country, back. so.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll have to do the country one. I know you guys are gonna love it.
1: Well, maybe by then, if we do another 120 episodes, maybe he'll come out with a rock and roll sequel. We can just you know they call
0: Calgary right Cowtown, right?
2: Yeah, I know.
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> is there a big country scene in there? Oh
0: god! Oh yeah, it's the Wild West here. Wait, yeah. too- the Calgary Stampede's like the g- biggest rodeo on earth.
2: No, is it?
0: Yeah, they call it the greatest outdoor show on earth. It it's definitely that. one of the biggest, if not the biggest.
2: Is Katie Lang
0: from... Or most prize money or something, maybe. It's something, anyway. Is, Is Katie, Katie
1: Lang, Lang from, from
2: Calgary?
0: I
1: don't know. I don't know. She might be from Canada, but I don't know. I think, okay. It's a it's a weird phenomenon. When I first moved here from Vancouver, I realized how, like, as soon as the stampede starts, like, the Thursday before, all of a yeah. sudden... God f- country. Everybody's short shorts and boots and cowboy hats, and, yeah, it's, like, instant. Hmm. So it's fun Sounds for like about a, a, fun for about a week.
2: Yeah, how long does it last?
1: Ten days, I think. Oh, yeah!
2: Wow, a little disruptive. Yeah, it,
1: it's very. Oh yeah,
0: it's like there's like hundred and fifty or hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand people a day through the gate. Wow, it's like fucking expensive too. You wow. can't go for a shit in there without spending <laughs> fucking fifty bucks. <laughs>
1: all right Uh, well maybe that's the note we should leave (laughs) yeah
0: that's the one yeah yeah we'll check out the book for sure we encourage our listeners to to check out the book and uh yeah we can't wait for the next one
2: thanks a lot guys i had a lot of fun
1: great glad you did so did we thanks man take care
2: thank you see you guys
1: In the grimerica are show we, we are mm-hmm. that was our chat with matt swain i think we're back after a music break that you would have just put in there right please tell me
0: you're gonna do that still oh i'm gonna cut back to you silence for a few minutes No, i'll edit it to perfection
1: so thanks matt for coming on that was a great I. Uh, i don't know it was one of my favorite chats i like chatting about the uh, old omni magazines and yeah uh, it's good to chat with an open-minded person who's doing the research into this type of stuff and it kind of trips me out that Pop culture musicians have had a lot of ghostly and alien experiences. It's, 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 it seems to be abnormally something to do with creative artistic types that are more open to it. Or maybe that's why they're creative and artistic, because those experiences have happened.
0: Mm, no. What comes first? The chicken. <laughs>
1: no, really? But
0: it's not quite a chicken. It's closer to something else and it has an egg that becomes the first chicken (laughs) that didn't work out
1: yeah i didn't really get you there but no really what what do you think about what comes first the experience or the
0: creativity the creativity the experience and the creativity i don't think have anything to do with each other
1: don't you think that a lot of these famous pop culture types. Maybe it's have because experiences. they've done more
0: drugs so they've thin the skin, thin really, the veil.
1: No. No. That can stop you from having experiences.
0: Maybe being popular. Does it? I don't know. Maybe you just won't correlate what I'm asking. You I've to never correlate. been popular. I just don't think there's any connection between having experience and creativity. Hmm. Because otherwise you'd be saying that all creative people would have to have had some sort of experience, or for most of them at least, right? It wouldn't just be one. And
1: That's what I'm getting at, though, is I think that if you looked at it, if you were to do like a massive, uh, what do you call that when you ask a bunch of people questions? Survey. Sure. <laughs> that you would find that artistically creative people, and especially maybe popular ones, have had more experiences, unexplained experiences, whether it be ghosts or UFOs or aliens or, or occult experiences than normal people, so-called normal people. That's what I'm saying. I think there, I think you would see that.
0: I think you're wrong. And I'm not saying that just to be, just to be... confrontational. Hm. I've never. I don't know. I've never really considered it and I'm, uh, not buying it. Hmm. Uh, I'm skeptical, skeptical of everything, as the jingle says.
1: So after, after we finished up this interview, I was uh, emailing Matt back and forth because I was looking up that drummer, right? You know how we talked about that, oh, that drummer? Oh, did we get into
0: that? Yeah, we did too. Yeah, yeah okay. we did
1: too. And his name is Ray Cooper. So I emailed him. I said, hey, Matt, the guy, the drummer I was talking about, yeah, you were right. He is like uh, kind of a short, bald head, older fellow. I go, his name is Ray Cooper. And He says, "Yeah, that's the guy. I remember reading about him and thinking, how can a guy be that good on maracas or bongos that people keep asking him to record with them? I guess he's that good. <laughs> anyway, thanks for a fun chat yesterday. Happy to be do- happy to do it again." Hmm. So, yeah, he's that good.
0: He's that good, yeah. For you anyway. Were you, was that an isolated incident, or was it like a bunch of people? Did you look around?
1: No, I didn't look around.
0: Hmm. We should I'm sure it's happened things. to people before. What's that? We should do some drum things. I was just thinking, I swear i seen something about Elton Don, you and Elton, Elton John. John? <laughs> Elton Graham. I, I swear I, it was in the last uh, Lost Bread.
1: Oh, Oh, really?
0: Yeah. That's pretty I'm funny. I'm positive. Lost Bread is a is
1: a comic blog um, from Napoleon on our on our website, grammerica.ca. It's pretty funny. And he throws these little Easter eggs in there.
0: He just released the, the key, I think, the answer to all the Easter eggs in the first two issues. Oh, did he? Yeah. So check that out. Uh, it's under Lost Bread. I should make that easier to link. I'll make a link maybe. That's just like grammerica.ca slash bread or something. That actually might be set up already. If not, it's like grammerica.ca slash category slash lost bread. Yeah. But yeah, check it out. Uh thanks for listening. As always, support the show, grammerica.ca slash support. Help us uh, keep the lights on, sign up for the newsletter, grammerica.ca slash news, review the show, and uh, spam gram. Let's put I'd like to put the call out for and extra, and extra Graham Spam over the next little while.
1: That's G-R-A-H-A-M, H- not gram H- at
0: GrahamAmerica.com. It's Graham at America.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week while I'm on vacation.